0: Bloomberg Audio Studios.
1: Podcasts, radio, news. At the beginning of this year, hedge fund manager Bill Ackman was making headlines, but not necessarily for his business moves. On his ex account, he was denouncing anti Semitism on college campuses and demanding leadership changes at Harvard, his alma mater. And in press interviews, he wasn't being shy about it. The more woke, the more left leaning the institution the more anti-Semitism.
2: I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of being canceled. I'm not afraid of losing my job. And financial independence gives me the wherewithal to right. speak.
1: Politics is not the only area where he's had a big year, though. On Bloomberg's annual list of best-paid hedge fund founders, Ackman has experienced some of the biggest gains, taking home $610 million last year. Today on the show, how Ackman was able to find success with his fund, Pershing Square Capital Management. And why the same big players keep appearing on the list despite the economy's ups and downs. This is The Big Take from Bloomberg News. I'm Sarah Holder. We sat down with Bloomberg's Tom Maloney to talk about this list. He's a journalist on the Wealth Team. I asked him if he was expecting to see Ackman on Bloomberg's annual ranking of the best-paid hedge fund founders.
2: It's not surprising to see his name on the list. His fund had a pretty good return last year. They were up about 27%. And he's been on the list before. Actually, back in 2020, he made about $1.3 billion, But this is the highest ranked he's ever been at number seven. He made about $610 million.
1: What did he do differently last year to get to number seven?
2: I guess what he did differently is not doing much. You know, he has a pretty concentrated stock portfolio. They only added one new position, Alphabet. Otherwise, the portfolio stayed pretty much the same throughout the year. So in contrast to like some of the more complicated funds that are on the list, places like Millennium and Citadel that have, you know, thousands of people working for them. So you could look at it as... It's him kind of making money, doing very little, although obviously there is a lot of analysis and so on that goes into this stuff.
1: Right. Well, why did taking a quieter approach work for him in 2023? What broader trends in the market may have made that strategy more successful?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, the market was up quite significantly last year. So if you had a portfolio that was just tracking the S&P 500, you would have done pretty well. And his portfolio did a little bit better than that. So part of it was kind of just picking a good portfolio of stocks and sticking with it throughout the year. He used to be known as more of an activist investor and a short seller as well. And some of those positions caused him some pain in previous years, you know, that you might remember there was this big fight he had with Carl Icahn some years back around a Herbalife position that he was shorting. And a few years ago, he said, I'm not going to do that so much anymore. I'm just going to take a quieter approach. I'm going to stick to, you know, investing in a concentrated." portfolio of stocks, and that's really worked out for him. But, uh, you know, everybody knows Ackman for different reasons. On the past 12 months, I wouldn't really call it a quiet approach at all. He's become something of a Twitter troll. He's been very prominent in calling out some of the university heads for their positions on anti-Semitism. He was really instrumental in getting the president of Harvard, Claudine Gay, to quit. And so on that front, he hasn't been quiet at all.
1: Yeah. I mean, has Ackman's activism on X, that loud voice he's raising, impacted his hedge fund for better or for worse?
2: Well, it's interesting. So in the past couple of weeks, in fact, it was it was very recently, they've come out and said that they're going to raise a new fund in the United States for retail investors. So he might be looking to kind of capitalize on his popularity or infamy on X as a way to get people to invest funds with Pershing Square. He already has a kind of a retail fund, but it's only traded in Europe and it's not really very well known in the U.S. So, you know, there might be something, there might be another reason why he's looking to get that kind of bully pulpit on on Twitter.
1: Ackman's simpler, less is more approach last year really stands in contrast to other funds on the list. These funds employ thousands of people and invest across a variety of assets. How did their investment strategy stack up against Ackman's last year?
2: They had pretty good years, but not as outstanding as they had the year before. So Citadel's main Wellington strategy had about a 15% return and Millennium was up about 10%. Those aren't outstanding returns, but even though they underperformed Pershing Square this year, those funds have consistently had pretty strong returns for a number of years now. And that is really important to investors. If you can kind of have consistent positive returns, despite, you know, whatever the market is doing, then that's really what a lot of investors are looking for from a hedge fund.
1: One of the other main trends when looking at this list seems like there have been less revenue gains for these top hedge funds across the board. Why was 2023 worse than 2022?
2: Well, What's interesting, I think, is that some of the more complicated hedge funds like Millennium and Citadel, because they invest in a lot of different asset classes, they had exposure, more exposure than somewhere like Pershing to volatility in those other asset classes, whether that's commodities or interest rates. So I think a big part of their returns last year came from some of those other asset classes, whereas 2023 was a little bit more muted in terms of volatility So some of those outsized returns were were missing last year.
1: And some of these funds and fund founders have yet to recover from those 2022 losses. Who are they and what steps are they taking to reverse fortunes in in 2024?
2: A lot of them were big technology investors. Um, Technology recovered a lot in 2023, but not necessarily enough to offset some of the losses that these funds uh, suffered in the previous years. Obviously, tech has had a massive AI fuel boom in the first quarter and I've got no doubt that that's going to influence their earnings. Some of those funds are invested in private companies as well. The private markets have kind of been stuck. Venture capital markets have been in the doldrums the last year or two and we might see a reversal of that in 2024. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in in the world of hedge fund returns.
1: What have you learned from making this Bloomberg ranking every year?
2: So I... Have been doing this for five years now. This is our fifth ranking of the highest earning hedge fund managers. I think the main takeaway from me is that every year I think it gets harder and harder for new people to break into the list, simply because the incumbents have so much invested in the funds now that it doesn't take a lot for them to continue to stay near the top. Ken Griffin, Israel Englander, Steve Cohen, as well Jim Simons at Renaissance Technologies. Chris Hohn at TCI they're kind of people that we've seen near the top of this list or at the top of this list for the last several years and that's because they've been around a long time they've got a lot of money invested in their funds and if the funds have any sort of a positive gain then they're going to make billions of dollars the assets under management at the really big funds keep growing and it gets a little bit harder to kind of make it if you're a hedge fund that's running less than a billion dollars simply because to run these sophisticated strategies, it costs a lot of money. And to compete with the big funds, you need to kind of have those sophisticated strategies. So it's certainly a very different industry than it was 20 years ago when it was a lot easier to break in and it was a lot less sophisticated as an industry. And now you need a lot of computing power, you need a lot of technology, you need investor relations, and I think it's a much more complex business to operate.
1: Can you translate what this all means to regular people like you and me or people who have their money in the stock market? Like, why should we care about how well these hedge fund guys are doing?
2: I think people should care because I think it's important to have at least a sense of how much money some people are making in this world. You know, these people have a lot of influence and the amount of money that they make is enormous. And whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, I think it's important to be informed about it. We all have a good idea about, you know, how much regular people make, whether it's a firefighter or a teacher or whatever, you have a pretty good sense of how much they make. But, you know, I think it's kind of a shock to people when they learn that somebody like Ken Griffin made $2.6 billion last year. I mean, it's an enormous amount of money. They wield a lot of political power. So I think that's really important.
1: Well, Tom, thank you so much for sharing this great reporting with us.
2: Thank you. It was a pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening to The Big Take from Bloomberg News. I'm Sarah Holder. This episode was produced by Adriana Tapia. It was edited by Caitlin Kenny. It was mixed by Blake Maples. It was fact-checked by Stacey Renee. Our senior producers are Naomi Shaven and Jilda DiCarli. We get editorial direction from Elizabeth Ponso. Nicole Beamsterbohr is our executive producer. Sage Bauman is our head of podcasts. Thanks for listening. Please follow and review The Big Take wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps new listeners find the show. We'll be back tomorrow.